This is Santia Deck, and you're listening to MTMV Sports. Keep it locked. What's going on, family? This is your boy, DJ Preach, the founder of The Life Show Radio. And I see that you're doing great things right now by keeping it locked here on the MTMV Sports Podcast. Y'all better be talking about the Carolina Panthers. Let's go. Hello and welcome to the Know Your Personnel Podcast. We are on all major podcast apps. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Please remember to leave us a rating. Download and share this episode with a friend so we can continue to grow the game. I'm very excited for our next guest. Let's jump in. All right. Hello and welcome uh, back to the podcast. I have a special, special guest for us this morning. I have Coach Bob Burton here. Uh, before I get into talking to him, let me go over some of his accomplishments. 488 and 158 in 26 years at West Valley Community College, Conference Coach of the Year nine times, California Coach of the Year four times, Hall of Fame California Community Colleges, 2004 inductee, and Coach of the Year, the NABC. And for our listeners, that's a division, that's for Division I college coaches in their sections. They break the nation down into sections. And this is on the West Coast, California Coach of the Year, 2008. He started his coaching career in 1969, which means, yes, over 50 years in the game. Over 50 years in the game as a teacher, as a, as a head coach, and as an assistant coach. It's my pleasure to have Coach Bob Burton join us here today. Coach, thank you very much for having us. Well, thanks, Nick. When you say starting in 1969, the fact that I'm even alive to do this interview is <laughs> amazing, I'll tell you. Uh, I was, uh, you know, just thinking about that, you know, before we came on here, but it's a, it's so I'm so fortunate to have been, been able to actually coach basketball in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, right on up to today, and uh, you know see all the different things that have happened in it. But it's it's I think back on it, I'm almost tired when I think about when I started. <laughs> Fifty years in the business is is extraordinary, uh, and the way the game has changed, the way the players have changed, the way the culture has changed for you to for you to continue and, and, and impact lives. And of all those numbers, you know what, doing this podcast, and I'm already off, off topic here, but doing this podcast, I've talked to a lot of my people in the game are your people, and they come from your tree. And talking to them, you know, those numbers are big, but when they talk about the impact that you had and the influence that you had on their life, even to this day, um, you know, it puts all these numbers to shame because the work that you've done with young men over 50 years and even young women, now we'll get to the very tail end of your career, um, is, is, is just extraordinary. And, you know, you deserve a ton of credit, a ton of recognition for the impact that you've had. So, you know, on behalf of all of your former players and coaches and everyone that you've met, we, we really want to thank you for the work that you've put in this game. Well, thanks. Uh, there, obviously, when you go through the coach of the years and those wins and stuff, they're the reason you know, uh, on the whole thing. I mean, you, you don't win games. You've been coaching long enough to know now that <clears throat> you better have good players yeah. and good guys and all of those type things. And, and <clears throat> I'm really, really lucky to have had so many great uh, coaches all the way down and, and players. Let's start at the beginning. Um, how did you, because you've coached Division One, you've coached high school, you've coached junior college, you've had a, a vast array of coaching, but let's start at the beginning. What made you want to get into coaching and even try it from that? You were a Division One basketball player in your playing days, but once that was done, you decided to get into coaching. How did that all come about? 
Well, it was really unique. I, you know, I was thinking about this the other day, but when I was a freshman in high school, which was way back <laughs> in the sixties. And uh, I remember we had to do an assignment for a class and you had to go interview somebody that you thought you would, a job that you'd want to do down the line. And uh, I went and interviewed our, our basketball coach in high school, mm-hmm. you know, and I was 14 years old or, you know, as a freshman. So it even started back then. Wow. And I was so interested. Uh, basketball has been my life. It's uh, always something I've, always never thought of being being part not being part of and uh when i was at fresno state uh, at the end i had a chance to graduate at the end of four years and that was actually after being at about 10 different schools (laughs) you know (laughs) how to get to that stage but you know it was uh and a friend of mine uh went to cal poly at san luis obispo which was division two at the time and they had a great program where you could get a teaching credential and a master's in the same year, mm-hmm. if you can imagine that. And I was a history major, and it, this was a PE deal, but if you had a minor in it, you could get it. So he had he lined it up for me to go over there and actually coach the freshman team coming out of, out of there. And, the, and he had gone there before me from Fresno State. He was our manager at Fresno. And uh, he coached the freshman team, and I thought, wow, this is incredible. I can do something like that. Well, they fired the coach that set the whole thing up before I got there. I ended up getting in school. I got there, and I ended up being the only basketball coach. The new guy let me stay on. Neil Stoner was his name, who later became the athletic director at Cal State Fullerton, way before I I ever went there. But he, uh, you know, and I ended up doing everything, and then, they came rolling in in September, and I was assistant uh, with the uh, varsity. They had a freshman and a varsity team, and I ended up staying with him, which was a great experience. And so my first coaching deal was actually working at, at a college, you know, a four-year <laughs> program, and, and uh, getting my master's, getting teacher credential, and I knew then I wanted to coach high school. I really wanted to get, you know, when I got that done, uh, I didn't really think about four-year at all. I just w- was so excited about being a high school coach because those were my heroes when I was growing up in this area. They were, uh, you know, I just thought they were like NBA stars today, you know. So <clears throat> that was what really kicked it off. And then uh, I was able to get a high school job in 1970 uh, after being at Cal Poly. And, and then that started it off, uh, you know, for a long road. So I am everyone I interview and I've had the privilege of interviewing division one head coaches and MBA assistants and trainers and high school coaches. I of course have a soft spot for high school basketball because if Lord willing, I'll be a high school basketball coach my entire life. Talk to me about your time. you spent 10 years as a high school coach at Willow Glen high school, or excuse me, eight years at Willow Glen high school. Talk to me about your experience as a high school coach how you built a program, your relationship with the kids, and how that all how that all worked out for you for eight years. Well, it was really unique because I went to my first job was a Lehigh school, and I, I got to the in those days it was hard to find get coaching jobs. You couldn't mm-hmm. get them, and uh, hard to get teaching jobs. Well, so I ended up getting a teaching job there, teaching history and PE, and they had a lightweight basketball played in the fall, and I ended up coaching one of those, and it was with a varsity. And uh, that, you know, helping the varsity coach. And the next year, I uh, got offered a job at Westmont High School. And the coach there was a terrific coach who had never really had any help. 
and they told me that if I uh, I could get the the frost soft job, not the varsity frost soft job, if I went over there and did what they took the uh, compensatory education, which was really pre-special ed at that time. Mm-hmm. It was government-sponsored program. But they basically took all kids, and a lot of them was discipline out of other classes that couldn't make it, and I would get them all day long. Mm-hmm. And that was my that, the only way I could get a, te- a coaching job like that. So I coached Frostoff. We, we did really well. And then Willow Glen opened up, and Willow Glen had a, a great tradition. And uh, the coach, matter of fact, the coach that was there before me was Dan Belwamini, who's a, a TV announcer to this day. Wow. He went from there to University of San Francisco. His Frostoff coach was Jim Bravelli, who later became an NBA coach and coached University of San Diego at USF. Uh, and then before him was Andy Locatelli that was at Santa Clara. So they had had great coaches there, and the program was really good. They left the it was really intact, whereas the uh, Westmont wasn't. You know, it was uh, had to go in and rebuild them, and we took second in the league. It was really a, a tr- you know great year. I, I learned how to really start to put a program together when you really didn't have uh, you know all the players. So I went from one one into a, uh, Willow Glen where we had good players, and really started uh, developing it, and then that turned in to be actually one of the better programs in the, in the CCS. Uh, so it was, again, the same thing. <clears throat> it was so much time I put in with kids. Yeah. And it was a summer, spring, summer, open gyms. Uh, it was uh, really important for me to get up there more than anything, spend time with kids. And back in those days, I was still playing. So it was fun, you know, to get out there and play. And uh, I would meet like uh, – four at a time, just like they do in college now, and this every day in the summer. And, and I think more than important as it is today, in those days, it was spending the time with kids. Mm-hmm. Not just when they go in the gym, you're yelling at them, or they really knew how, how that I was trying to get them better. And I think that was a real key. You, you talked about your teaching in the classroom, and you taught the what would probably now be considered special ed today. You taught the kids who struggled in a regular classroom setting how did teaching in the classroom help you as a basketball coach well you know it it was really uh it was interesting because when I went to Willow Glen uh my teaching schedule when I first got there was typing which I couldn't do (laughs) it was fiction and fantasy English class which I had no idea now I could handle the the fantasy stuff but the fiction (laughs) all of that so they had though and U.S. history and PE. Those were my teaching fields. Wow. And coaching, coaching three basketball teams. Wow. I had those lightweights again, the season bees in the fall, and then I had the varsity in, in you know in the regular season. Mm-hmm. And so it, there wasn't a second. I mean, uh, but when you're young, you're going. You got all that. And, you know, I'm just I was so excited to have a job and have a varsity job there at a place like mm-hmm. that. It was it was really. Uh, a good thing. I think the classroom, you know, this is a really interesting point, Nick. My wife and I talk about this. I, I've had uh, assistant coaches have never had that experience of like coaching in high school or teaching. Mm-hmm. I think that they really lose out because yeah. when you teach in a classroom, when you walk into the classroom, you have to know exactly what's going on everywhere. You know, if this guy's over by the water fountain or this guy, there's a problem going here. 
because you've got all this class. I had like various assistants throughout the years or other coaches that never had the experience and they were really tunneled. They were really didn't see the whole picture. And I think in coaching high school, uh, teaching in a classroom, and I love the, the classroom. I taught, eventually got out of their class and I was, once my fingers got out of the typewriter and, uh, and you're young and, you know, I was able to uh, get into those other classes and I was basically teaching this history and PE and I loved it. And I could have done that forever. I could have never gone on to college. I would have been just as happy coaching in high school. Again, we had great kids at the school, uh, good players. The program evolved, got even uh, a little bit better every year. But more importantly, I love the teaching. I, I seriously thought at one time of getting out and just concentrating on this, on teaching history. Uh, I enjoyed that so much. You did eventually get out, and you decided to move on to the junior college ranks at West Valley, and that is where you spent the majority of your career, 26 years. Talk about at the beginning, how you were hired there, uh, how, how that came about. I understand it was a new program, and there were some things going on with that there. Talk about how you got hired, how you built the program up into a state power. Well, you know, that, that was amazing, the fact that uh, West Valley College – Opened up in 19, uh, my senior year, right, excuse me, my freshman year of college. So mm-hmm. I, and they, it was unique. I went to Campbell High School <clears throat> and across the street with, was a junior high I went to, mm-hmm. Campbell Junior High. Well, they condemned the junior high and said it wasn't earthquake proof. West Valley came in and bought the junior high. <laughs> and that was okay. You know, it was all right to send college kids there. So I figured they could run out of the building faster than junior high kids. But, so I sat in the same classes the first day West Valley opened up in ni- 1964 that I sat in when I was in the seventh and eighth grade. Wow. And it was a, yeah, and we had no school colors, we had no uh, uh, mascot. All of our uniforms were black and white, uh, black and white uh, uniforms, and we were all freshmen. So I played there as a freshman, and on the first team, and back in the high school that I played in, I had a blast. And then I was lucky enough after the, my freshman year to get a scholarship to bring him on basketball scholarship. So I left after one, but uh, so it it was always uh, really a, a, a important place to me because I'd gone there to start the school off. And I, when I came back, I was here locally, and I watched them play. And they actually had good coaches to start with. And then it hit a wall, and then they were really bad. So when I went in there uh, in 1980, I was coming out of a really good high school s- situation with a really good team and a good one coming back. We were like 25-5 and five and lost in the uh, championship games at Stanford. That's where the – the tournament wasn't at that time that the CCS had 300 something team. There was no different divisions or anything. Mm. And we were one of the four teams that went there. We had like three starters back off that team. So I knew it was going to be, it was really hard to lead that group. And this was a dream job for me, West Valley. And they had really, they'd won four games, I think the year before I got there. And uh, so I went in there and I, that's where I really learned. Mm-hmm. And I learned from other coaches in the league. They were so great. And I was over my head. And I immediately knew that. I, right away, I said, boy, this is a different world watching these guys because they know how to recruit. 
and they knew how to call it, recruit college kids. I had never done that. And I thought the best way to go about doing that was to go out and recruit the best athletic kids that I could find. And it really uh, didn't matter about the type of kid they were. It was just all about ability. And I learned very quickly that was the wrong way to go, mm-hmm. that your character is important. And it was really uh, unique. I mean, the first year, uh, first year, couple of years were really tough. But then the light went on, switched on. And I really thought about going back to high school. I was so depressed about the teams I had because the attitudes were really, really uh, shaky. <laughs> and then I finally woke up and I said, you know, you got to – you." you got to get good guys, you know, and that, and to be honest, when we get to Puller, that's where that changed a little bit. I would kind of went back the other way because you get in a situation that controls you a little bit more, you know, with the winning and losing and all of that. And I kind of got, I got away from that philosophy at the very end of my career, which was really costly. And uh, I, <clears throat> instead of keeping that in, in mind, you had, when you get to college, it's different than high school. It's high school, as you know, you take what you can get. And that's where it comes in. Unless you're in Southern California where you have a great recruiting budget like a lot of these private schools do. <laughs> but they don't recruit. We know that, you know, so hitting on that one. But, you know, JC and four-year level, you're going to be as good as you recruit. And if you don't have players, it's, uh, it's going to be a long, hard hold for you. So I want to talk about two things while you're there. I think that junior college coaches – are the hardest working coaches in basketball Um, because not only do you run a year-round program but when you do have an off day you're out recruiting you're out going somewhere that's what separates you from high school coaches and in addition to that what separates you from the college or the division one coaches and two and three is you're washing the uniforms you're driving the vans you're doing the you're in charge of academics you're in charge of meals you're in charge of hotels you're in charge of everything scheduling and all that so talk about how running a program for 26 years built that work ethic in you that ended up paying dividends when you went to the, uh, to the college level. Well, you know, you're, you're right there. And then don't, what, don't forget one other thing too, you're teaching classes. Correct. You know, so you're along all those things you just mentioned. It were amazing. And I, you know, I can remember like I, I would be t- have a game in Sacramento, which was a two and a half hour ride mm-hmm. for me. And I would go in and te- teach in the morning and I'd have to run over and get my vans, get both vans myself, drive them over back and forth, <laughs> make sure they were filled up with gas. Yeah. And then so when the team showed up, we were ready to go. So we weren't stopped to get gas. Now, today, I don't even know how you can deal with this traffic, and especially in Northern California, it's so bad. But uh, it, it was a full-time deal like that. And, and it makes you really become organized, for one thing. Mm-hmm. If you're disorganized, you're going to have problems. And I never had full-time assistants. Right. I always had volunteer assistants right up until the end. And one that you know, Annie Newman, who's coach at uh, Cal State San Bernardino now, uh, played for me later, came back, and I think he got a stipend for like, oh, I think it was 10000 bucks or something for a year. That's the first time I ever had anybody. But the whole thing is you have to do all of those things in, in one day, day. And uh, you also have to recruit. And the hardest part is recruiting during your season, is, mm-hmm. you know, because now all of a sudden you're switching gears, you're, you're teaching that day, you're coaching, and then you're off to a high school game that night. Yeah. And then if you're doing it right, 
you're really recruiting right. Uh, the key thing there is that you're not just seeing the kid. You're really hitting all the people that are really important for the kid. Right. And I think that's what I learned. I learned as we went on really about recruiting. The first part of my recruiting was done on the phone. When I went out and recruited all these flaky guys that came charging in there. Mm -hmm. And now later on, when the program got better and better, and it really probably really helped me is uh, I got, I would battle San Jose City College. They had a coach named Percy Carr that was a terrific coach. And long, he and I had gone to Fresno State together. So he's another old guy. And he was terrific. And at first, he recruited out of the area. He didn't recruit in San Jose. So I recruited all San Jose kids. And the, the talent wasn't great, but it was it was pretty good. Well, in time, it got it got good, and then I was able to go get uh, players from out of the area, and especially four-year guys started to help me. Now, the big thing about community college, get recruiting the players is not the, that hard, to be honest. The real hard is taking care of them. That's mm -hmm. a hard part mm -hmm. because you're talking finances, and the California uh, state of California does a lot of scholarships. Correct. So, and that's why California JCs are really hurt today by a lot of things by Division two schools, prep schools, out-of-state JCs, because all those guys have finances and money now. And the California schools are not permitted, technically, to go out and, and pay for room and board and all that. So I had to really work hard on, uh, on uh, finding creative ways legally to help these kids get through it financially. That was the, big, that was the biggest part. So uh, I was able to get really good players to come later uh, that, that were, you know, and my whole thing now was quality people too, was more important. Like not, most of the, my ex-assistants were guys who played for me at West Valley. Uh, Annie Newman, uh, who I just mentioned, Ryan Madrys at Santa Clara, John O'Mesker Jones is at uh, Davis. Uh, one of my assistants, Tim Collins, is the assistant AD at Fresno now. And I mean, all, Julius Hicks is the assistant AD at Northridge. I mean, those are the kind of people that that I coach and I was lucky, lucky to get. So I, as time went on, I really got the idea. Uh, you get into a situation where you become like a Duke and he's able to recruit great players and good guys. Mm -hmm. That's the difference. Whereas other schools in the SEC, for example, don't have that reputation, and they have to go recruit guys that maybe to get really good players, there's going to be some baggage with them. Second thing I wanted to talk about, you, you've given all your credit to the players, and, and, and just as I would expect you were, you're a very humble coach, but I'll, I'll say it for you you know, you are a terrific coach, and you bring the best out of players, and your record speaks for itself. How did you develop your coaching philosophy? You know, your, your practices and, and the way you worked with players is legendary. How did, you, how did you create that as you grew as a coach? Well, you know, I, I think the key thing, Nick, for anybody, and I think it's, it's today or 1969, is honesty. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's been really my, my, as you know, being with me and working for me, uh, being so honest. Uh, with kids, and it hurts sometimes. I mean, it uh, it hurts you with kids. It hurts them. There's no doubt about it. But at the end of the day, I think of all all players, and, you know, we all constantly hear about this all the time, the difference between kids today and years ago. 
Mm-hmm. And everybody talks about, boy, the kids have really changed. Yeah, the kids have changed because the parents have changed. Mm-hmm. And the administrators have changed. Back in those days, everybody was on kind of the same boat. You know, mm-hmm. so when you got in trouble, you were afraid to get home. You mm-hmm. know, and now it's the school's fault. You know, and I and I, I watched this transition go out through time here on this thing. And there was days, you know, when I was in high school, I never had to worry about the parents. That was not even an issue. If they didn't like it, they talked to the, the principal and say, geez, well, I hope you enjoy going somewhere else because this is, you know, what it's going to be here. Wow. Now, for me, a guy like me, that was great because right. I was really tough and hard. And I learned throughout time. And, th- and this gets back to what we talked about earlier about spending time with those kids off the court. Mm-hmm. If you spend all the time with kids off the court uh, or even working with them in the summer and spring, like I did, you develop a relationship with them that now they, they more or less understand why you're on them, that you are honestly trying to make them the best you can. And, it, and that's what coaching is. And if, uh, if kids can't take that and they can't, then they're not going to prove. They're not going to prove. I learned this a long time ago about recruiting. We talked about intelligence. Intelligence is a big part of recruiting. Not necessarily the 4.0 student and all that, but I'm talking about overall intelligence. Because if a kid is not going to accept coaching, he's not going to prove. He's yeah. going to hit a wall in most cases. Some go on despite that, but mostly you watch the improvement most kids make, uh, and they really do that because they're coachable. They want to get better. They understand it. Now, they – you're into them, you're real, like my situation, I'd be into them so hard that nobody, a lot of people wouldn't see what went on in the office or talking to them after, uh, you know, fighting with them all the time and then hugging them after and doing those things. So those a lot of times people don't see that stuff, but you better have that side of it because if you don't, then they, you're going to lose them. Then they're going to just think you're really a, you're a weenie. You know, you're not a good guy. You know, it's going to be one of two things. This guy's hard on me. He's trying to make me better. I get that. I don't like it, but I get it. So I'm going to hang with it. Or this guy's just a bad guy and I got to get out of here. You know, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. So you you ran a clean program. Uh, you recruited you recruited good kids and good athletes. Uh, you basically was a, were a one-man show with the help of really good assistance, but on a volunteer basis. Right. And you attribute that success with players as being honest and just treating them the right way, being hard on them, but also, you know, you kick them in the butt, but you also there put an arm around them as well. And with that, developed one of the best junior college programs in the state during your tenure. What are some of the best experiences that you had, maybe teams or players or games or wins or losses or seasons or whatever, whatever have you that you had that you can remember as your time as a head coach at West Valley? Well, you know, I think probably uh, the le- – if you talk to any of them, they'll tell you that our summer league open gym in the summer was, was something that was incredible. And you could do this in those days. And I thought it was really important to make West Valley a basketball capital uh, in, in Northern California. And by that, I mean, where people, when you brought the name up, they said, God, I want to go, go there to play. Open gyms were really important. So uh, I, I worked out with uh, one of the guys in the area who was – was tied in with Billy Duffy, who's one of the top NBA guys right now. He's with the, geez, he's an agent. He's had Yao Ming and on and on. I mean, just mm-hmm. a ton of, he's had LeBron at times. Wow. Uh, you know, so he's one of the top guys right now. 
And uh, his workout guy was uh, in San Jose. So when Billy would sign these NBA top players, he would send them to here because now they, they could pay for it and they needed a place to work out. So I would make sure they could work out at our gym and then play with our guys. So now all of a sudden I had NBA guys and then walking into our gym or top college kids coming in. Antonio Davis had played for the Indiana Pacers and guys like that were coming in, Rex Walters, Revan Knight, all these ex-NBA guys at that time. So now they're coming in. And then what I did is I called all of the four-year guys in Northern California and told them that I was going to have an open gym on Tuesday and Thursday nights. So now I got, and I really recruited them. Stanford was sending two teams. Santa Clara was sending two. USF, Cal, San Jose State, Santa Clara, on and on. They would come down, and all of these players would be there every Tuesday and Thursday night. And I would let them and a few guys who were D1 players from, that went to other places uh, out of the area, uh, and they would all uh, come in and play on Tuesday and Thursday nights, with, and I would have a tournament. And they, my guys would play. Every kid that I had recruited or had coming back would play in this thing. Started at 7 o'clock sharp. If you were late, you – I mean, I remember Cal coming in at 7.05, and I wouldn't let him play. Said so started at 7, and they had to turn around and drive back to Berkeley. And next night, they were there at 6.30, shooting around, ready to go, you know. Well, but it was, it was amazing. Some nights, uh, there was up to 80 kids in the gym. Wow. And I would run it myself. I'd stand out there, and i go, team 1 and 15 on this floor. And if you lost two games, you went home. Mm-hmm. Wow. So you, you can picture that. I, I, I think uh, probably the, one of the most memorable nights there is I sat there, and my guys are out playing, and I looked on court. One court, and there was Rex Walters, who mm-hmm. was playing with the Miami Heat at the time. In the middle court was Brevin Knight, who played the NBA for 10, 12 years. He was in the pros. And then the other court was Steve Nash, wow. who uh, it was all. Those were the three guards with their teams. Now, I got my guys in there. Or picture now, you lose two games, you go home. So, of course, I always paired off the two NBA guys who played the first game of the night. And then I'm having go, hey, coach, we already got a loss. Well, you better not lose again. You know, so I would watch Antonio Davis, uh, all these guys. And, and then the pros would come in there and play, too. And it, it was an incredible run. It really made our players so good because they would they would learn how to play with these guys and battle in them and I think that's one thing that's so good about Southern California uh, especially in the past and uh, the competition is so good the kids get used to playing against that type of that type of level mm-hmm. and in Northern California they didn't have that mm-hmm. and now it's kind of changed because of the AEU circuit and yeah. all that stuff uh, but it was I think that was one of the and I run into guys today, and most of them are coaches, and they talk about how great that open gym was. Oh, my God, I remember that coach. And I, I don't know if I mentioned, but I remember one night we had 80 guys in there playing, and it was just a war. And all my guys, my kids would play, and I'd be there like at 10, 10, 15 at night playing the championship game. Everybody else would be gone. There'd be two teams still playing. They played just – and they were playing to win. So – I think that was a, a real highlight. Obviously, the players, uh, how great they were. The, the relationships were the highlights with all of those guys. And then, you know, going to state tournaments and getting a chance to play in championship games. And 
for a young coach. All of those things were really important. But I think back at West Valley, and I think more about all of the all of the players that I had there. And most of my really good friends are those guys to this day. So you decided then at, at, at some point during there, there was a bigger challenge ahead of you. And you uh, applied for the Cal State Fullerton job. Now, you were a bit of a trailblazer in that because there weren't a lot of Division I schools that were hiring head JC coaches. That was a tough thing for the Division I schools to, to, well, to wrap their head around. Tell me how give, – give us our listeners, many of them junior college coaches, how a junior college head coach goes to Division I and how that interview process, how that all comes out. Well, you're skipping a, a step here that's really uh, important, and the whole thing is kind of funny. I was like kind of at the end of the – there was, and it was 20 years at West Valley. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm right at the end of that. And I'm not sure if I was going to keep going mm-hmm. at that stage. I thought about uh, hiring one of my ex players uh, and, and maybe helping him, you know, doing something like that, staying involved with it. But mm-hmm. I was kind of real tired at that stage. And then one of my ex players, Ray Lopes was the assistant at Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And he, he had actually played for me and helped me helped coach uh, at West Valley with me, and then I got him into coaching. And now he was the assistant the year Oklahoma went to the Final Four. Mm-hmm. So, bang, all of a sudden he was in the limelight, uh, and he calls me up and says, Coach, I'm going to get the Fresno State job. Mm-hmm. And uh, what I, I would like to do is have you come down and run the offense, because that's what I was known for mostly is running offenses and fast breaks and stuff. So I thought, oh, this is great, and I talked to my wife about it. I said, hey, we're just going to, uh, like you, <laughs> we're going to Fresno, you know, is <laughs> living off. So uh, it, it was really a great experience for me because it rejuvenated me a lot. And now it really gave me a chance to get back in mm. to be actually a Division One head coach, which was now a goal of mine. And really, I hit a, had a, lots of roadblocks. There are very few JC guys that can move on to, your guy Vance Wahlberg is is really unique in that. Yeah. There was a day there though that that's where four year guys used to get them, mm-hmm. like uh, Jerry Tarkanian, you know, with, you know, with uh, their Lute Olson, all these Hall of Fame guys actually were junior college coaches and went there to four year schools. So and then it stopped where they were only hiring from assistants. They wanted to win the uh, press conference. That was actually more important than getting a good coach. The guy, so the AD would look good that this guy's from Kentucky and he never even coached a day in his life. <laughs> All those things you and I are talking about, never been in a classroom, never done any of that, even recruiting, but now he's a, a really good coach, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there are two phases to it. There's recruiting good players and there's coaching them when you get them. So I went there as an assistant. And I it was mostly just to see him. And it, it was so good. I was able to take Andy Newman with us. And the other assistant, uh, one of them was David Fisdale, who mm-hmm. was a young guy coming from San Diego, who later was you know national seniors, was coach of the Grizzlies and the Knicks, and he'll be back, you know, he'll be back in it shortly. I'm sure of that he's a great coach, great guy. So he was he was one of the other coaches. Well, we had a great year. We ended up winning the league, and uh, with basically all Jerry Tarkanian's rejects. So we're the guys that weren't even his top players. They were really good players. They were hard to coach, tough guys. But now all of a sudden, I was now qualified to be a Division I head coach because I was an assistant. 
Right. And it, we used to, I used to laugh about it because all those years, 20 years, uh, now I completed 10 years in high school, 20 years in that. And, you know, in that other time, I'd also taken a year leave of absence and gone to University of Utah mm-hmm. as an assistant. And then uh, with the idea of maybe staying, but the guy, the head coach was on shaky ground. So it was a really smart move. I came back to West Valley, which did help me in the recruiting at West Valley. I learned a lot more about recruiting during that period. So uh, now with this thing that popped there, now all of a sudden Cal State folded and opened up. Okay. And they had, a, they had not done well at all. Uh, Any time the previous coach, I think, had won – 20 games in four years or something like they that. Were, they were 41 and 102 in the five years before that you before you took the head job. Yeah, there you go. And I think uh, in those wins, 10 of them were the year before I got there. Hmm. Now, he was, a, he was a really good coach and a good guy, Donnie Daniels. He had a bad deal going into the whole thing. They were on probation. There was yeah. a lot of problems there. So he had to overcome all that stuff. And he's he's been so successful in his own right. Uh, being an assistant at UCLA and Gonzaga. I don't know if he ever really wanted to be a head coach again, but he's certainly uh, a great guy, a really great guy for Fullerton. So he was terrific for me to follow. He, he left there and went to Ben with Ben Hallett at UCLA. He thought that was really a good move for him, what he wanted to do. So when the job opened up, I, I had no shot at this job. I really didn't. Uh, I, the only thing that kept me in there was being at, at Fresno and, you know, being a championship team and we had done really well and on and on. I really had to, to recruit that job hard mm-hmm. and uh, really, really hard. And Brian Quinn, the athletic director there, uh, wasn't open to, to hiring me at first. And, you know, I just had so many people working for me uh, and convincing him that the job was really a job where you're, you needed a guy that had the JC background to get those kind of kids, because that's what that, that job was going to be. You right. don't, you're not going to get the top high school kids going there. They're, you're going to gonna, you're not, they're going to go to the pack, San Diego States, all those are going to, are going to beat you. And so you have to find a, a niche. And I convinced him that that would be our, our deal. So I was really uh, lucky enough to get that when, uh, you know, and going there charging in blind. And the other thing is Donnie left us some good players. Yeah. He really did. You know, he left, he left Pop Sal that played in the NBA and Ralphie Holmes was one of the great players I've ever coached ever Incredible. and competitor winner. Uh, and I and ended up being a great kid. Uh, I had a lot of fun with him, hard guy to coach, but that's because he was good. Yeah. And so I was really fortunate that first year uh, to get that, even though a lot of the guys, uh, we didn't mesh really good. You were there. You remember uh, on that thing. And the funniest part of that, you were my first recruit because when I got I the job, uh, you were. And I uh, I got to get a, a guy that can come in and run this thing and be a, a, you know, and people don't understand managers in college are not like they are anywhere else. They're the most vital part of that program. They're like coaches. They're running everything. You talk about working. And when I talked to your guy at San Jacinto, and he called me up and I told him, he said, oh, I got the guy for you. This guy's unbelievable. He's so good and on and on. I said, I, let's get this, because I know how John was, Chambers. Mm-hmm. And 
I said, I didn't need anything else. And that you were my first recruiting call. <laughs> and let's get this going. I went in there. They hadn't done anything for managers. So I went in and talked to them about scholarships and got that done. And then obviously that leads to our conversation today to where we're at. And it was a, a great move for, for both of us, mainly for me. Oh, well, I can, I will debate you on that, but I remember that phone call. I was working at Disneyland at the time and I'd work the graveyard shift and I was asleep. It was probably around noon and I got home two, three, four in the morning and uh, my phone rang that rang and Hey, big boy, how you doing? This is Bob Burton. Uh, and, and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I, you know, sit up straight. Like this is the boss. This is the guy. And he said, you're my first recruiting call. I want you to be a part of our team and you're just as important as a player. Not the really good players, but just as important as a player. <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, you know, I, I had, you know, my dreams had come true because, you know, it, you know it, when you leave junior college, you want to know that you're going to be in the college and you don't, you know, know those things. And I was like, yes, I'm in. I'm accepted. I'm on the team. Like all systems go. And so that, that phone call changed my life. That's for sure. And like you said, we would not be here. Uh, who knows where I'd be if it, if it were not for that. And so well, I think you, I think you would have been successful regardless, but I think, you uh, it was fun because, and, and you saw, you saw that that was the hardest year I've ever had in coaching. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, the players were, you know, a lot of guys say, well, they weren't, they're not your players. Mm -hmm. uh, you didn't recruit them. There is some truth to that, but Pop wasn't, Sal wasn't one of my players. And yeah, I thought he was a great kid. I loved him. His cousin, Babacar Kamara was great. Ralphie, unfortunately, wasn't there. Uh, he came back the next year and helped us go geez, a long ways. He was such a, a tremendous player. But, you know, uh, we had really talented guys on that team. If you really think back, there was a lot of talent. We had two NBA guys, yeah. Bobby Brown and Pop Sal. And, uh, but the chemistry was so bad. Yeah. And I hear, like, you're talking about culture. And here's a hard, tough guy coming in and on them. And it became very obvious to me there that we had to change things. And we had to now start getting better guys. And not better guys, I shouldn't say better guys, but guys probably fit more about what I was about. Yeah. And you look at the three recruits we brought in. Bobby Brown played the NBA for a long, you know, quite a bit. Still playing. Still playing, yeah. Yafet, Yafet King is an assistant coach at SMU. And Hardy Esprit is, uh, you know, at Cal Baptist. Now, those were three guys we brought. They're all involved in basketball to this day. Bobby just went in the Hall of Fame and folded in this year. So those were three pretty good recruits. Yeah. Now, all of a sudden, the next year came back, and we got a guy like Ralphie and other guys that we kept putting it together, other kids we brought in. And, of course, we had that really remarkable year going to the third round of the NIT, which was incredible. So now you're here. Um you're 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 at Fullerton you you have the job uh you have a staff which you know you weren't used to at junior college you got three coaches working for you you have student assistants you have all that type of support and you walk into a program that like I said is 41 and 102 um 41 and 102 and you turn it into a NCAA uh, tournament team how did you how did you do that you know we talked about the first year but then you started to get it going how did you get that program that was once called, and I remember Bob, excuse me, Doug Gottlieb called this on, a, on an interview, Cal State Florida was called a graveyard for coaches. And, and you turned that place that was once a graveyard for coaches into a NCAA tournament team. How did you do that? Well, you know, again, I, I think the experience of being a West Valley 
and uh, understanding going back to the start out with the recruiting. And, you know, we, we just figured out very early, we were going to have to really recruit transfers, JC kids and transfers. Those were going to be the most important thing. The only freshman that we recruited that really worked out all the time was Bobby Brown. Yeah. He stayed with us for four years. Now, if I had recruited him today, he'd be gone. There, there's no way he'd be sitting there. The way this transfer thing's going, and now it looks like the NCAA is going to put out the no set out year thing. You're going to be eligible immediately. So these kids, I don't know how guys are going to coach them. It's going to be the Wild West watching all these kids transfer all around. But we we were hitting the transfers really hard. And I think back in those days were kind of interesting. And, and this this was – I didn't really realize this until I watched our – we played Wisconsin, which was a horrible opening game for us because of the way they played, the way we played. And they were real good. And uh, went down to the end, but I was watching the game at, at, later on TV. We were the only team in the NCAA tournament with all transfers. We didn't have one high school kid and we uh, that I'd recruited. They were all guys that transferred from four-year schools who are JC kids, and uh, which is just amazing. So I think the JC thing is, was able to help me put all of that together where they, they could be in there. There's a real distinct difference, too. It, you know, these guys that I watch them, they're going to recruit a, a good high school kid, some good JCs, and good transfers. It's really a hard thing because socially there's such a gap there there was such a difference between an incoming freshman out of high school and a four-year uh senior you know and if and college basketball and the whole thing is going to get tough if those kids are going to hang in hang in with you especially if you're a hard guy and you're tough and you're going to be disciplined you need them all on board with you you need your leaders to be on board with you and that's relationships to stop, you know, kids don't want to transfer because their buddies here. Now that's what happened to us because Bobby Brown was literally like the Pied Piper yeah, of yeah. Southern California. Yeah. So he came there, he really bought into it. And he was hard to coach. He was a tough guy to coach. He and I butted heads every day. But he knew I loved him and uh, it, it was a it was a battle. And you were you were a good friend of his, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But he kids loved him. And they wanted to play with him. They're really top players. Scott Cudley was a great player from Westchester. He went back uh, to Kent State and was their top player. He wanted to transfer because you know, he wanted to come home one, but most, mostly because of Bobby. Uh, Frank Robinson, another great player. East Carolina, a friend of me, he brought him back. Uh, John Clements, I mean, it went on and on and on. They were all kind of related to him. And as a matter of fact, when I went to his Hall of Fame deal, he got up and he talked about how he recruited all these players to West, back to uh, Fullerton, and uh, they went to the NCAA without him. And Coach Bird, you never sent me a check for that. I was your ace recruiter on that, but he really was. And, uh, you know, and we're lucky. We were lucky, too. We we're lucky to have a guy like Ralphie Holmes come back. And it all messed But the bottom line is they were good guys. They really liked each other. They play, They worked hard together. And, you know, you, you get some battles in there, too. I mean, not all teams. It's like a family. There's there's going to be disagreements and all that. But down deep there, they all had your back. You – one of the things that's tough with transfers is you're getting guys from all over who play with different 
you know, you get guys who, where you can act that way at practice at that school, but then you come here and it's not acceptable. And you can, you can come, you know, right at, right at eight o'clock at this school and it's not okay at this school and, and so on and so forth. You get a lot of different people coming from different places and that could present some challenges. One of the strengths that I think you have is that you're able to bring everyone together and you're able to get everyone on the same page. How are you able to get a team literally full of transfers who all come from different, who've all played for different college coaches and we're all good in their own right. How, how do you get them all on that same page to play and all go in the same direction to win for you? Well, you know, another thing, too, is really about uh, getting that thing going at Fullerton. And it was the same way at West Valley and everything else. A real important ingredient in that is the style that you play. Mm-hmm. And if you play a real fast, up-tempo style, kids like that. Yeah. And at that, that time, not everybody was playing that. You know, well, we really played loose and fast. And it's fat, everything was fast break. I mean, I was, you know, you were there. I was constantly, I wanted to go faster than they wanted to go most of the time. And I think that uh, that was really an important thing. Kids, with the transfer thing, it was great, too, because now they didn't have another transfer in them, to be really honest. You know, and they, they didn't like it. Go, hey, listen, yeah, you'll be good at Division Two. Like, well, who do you want me to call? Well, they, that, that wasn't what they wanted. Yeah. They transferred there for a reason. It was those other guys mainly because of Bobby. And then later we got transfers because uh, style was really important. I have a great example is Josh Akoyan. Mm-hmm. Josh Akoyan is a kid that we had transferred from Washington State that left Tony Bennett. Now, I couldn't, I couldn't even come close to the coach that Tony Bennett is. He was, you know, he's a phenomenal coach. But he plays a slower style, and Josh really wanted to play a more up-tempo thing. And, and he was started there. I mean, he had 25 in the second half at Poly Pavilion against UCLA when one of their final four teams. So he was a, uh, you know, the style was that. Also, the, the location helped me, too, with Fullerton and the girls. <laughs> it's got the greatest – it's got the cutest girls in the country. And uh, we honestly, we pushed all those things. We pushed the style that we played, uh, the campus with the, not, not the campus, because, I mean, it wasn't Santa Barbara, something like that, you know. But it, it was nice. But the most important thing was location, beaches, all that kind of stuff, and the way that we played. And then we were a transfer school. We really pushed that across to these kids, and they were transferred. Mm-hmm. So now they were looking at other schools that didn't really recruit transfers. And they go, yeah, this, this is a good fit for me, you know, on this thing. And then they're recruiting us. I had really good assistants that recruited really hard. Jason Levy was tremendous. Andy Newman was tremendous. Uh, we just had really good guys that had great relationships with kids and uh, did, a, did a wonderful job. So those things that we really kept pushing for them too and then and then also you know academics that wasn't a huge push for them because they're basketball players but they're all going to graduate they knew that they most of but they they won't it was a basketball decision for them they weren't picking Cal State Fuller because it had this great academic uh, background or in their area you know and it had a lot of good things it really did but it, it wasn't the reason they were picking it because of basketball they were either not playing as much as they wanted to, were getting, playing the style that they wanted to, uh, didn't like the location they were in, 
something like that. And when we found that out, uh, we really built on that. You know, we found out what they wanted and we really tried to sell them on that part of it. So now you've, you've, you've built their trust. You've got the relationship. You have them on campus. They're kind of a last stop. They're, you know, a lot of them may be second chance guys. And yeah. now they're all here. You've got your style of play that you know is, is the best way to play, especially with the type of athletes that you had and, the, and what you're best at as a coach. How do you implement all those things? What are, your, what are your most important things that you teach when you're teaching the game, when you're teaching fast break? Uh, that you brought into practice that helped them come together and, and play that way effectively? Yeah, I think the big thing, and I think it's important for all coaches now, is, is make it competitive. Okay. Make your practices as competitive as you can. Mm-hmm. And the longer I coach, to be honest, the more I realize how to get rid of drills. Mm-hmm. Coach, to be honest, the only person like drills are the coaches. Mm-hmm. You know, the head coach probably. Assistants don't like him. You're an assistant, you know what I'm saying? The head coach thinks, oh, this, you know, let's go out and work on the pivot for four hours, you know, something like that. I, I think it's more important really to, uh, to really let, let kids play as much as you can in practice along the lines of making the practices competitive and charting everything. We charted, as you know, everything. We charted all the things there were really offensive rebounding's to on and on and on, and I I think that that is a a key motivator. I, I had a kid at West Valley played for me named Bennett Davidson. It was one of the best JC kids, and he went to play at the University of Arizona. That's how good he was from West Valley, and started on their national championship team as a JC kid with Miles Simon, uh, Terry, and all of those guys. And I remember Lute Olson called me up when uh, he got there, and he says, uh, you know, what we do here with our, our four and fives is we stat rebounding all week, and the top two rebounders at the end of the week start. Hmm. That's how he did it. And I never – and Bennett, he says, your guy Bennett's like fourth, and he should be the best rebounder. And we need to get him off his butt and get him going. So I called Bennett up, and he didn't really even realize all this, you know. And I uh, said, do you want to start? And he goes, yeah. I said, well, you better. You're a JC guy. You got two years left. And uh, and then Luke called me up at the end of the week. He said, I don't know what you did with him, but he's doubled everybody on rebounds. And again, that's because it was competitive, statting it, doing those things. I think those are are really important things uh, on this. The only problem is, is you know, statting takes a lot. Mm-hmm. If you're in high school, you've only got so many guys helping you like I did when I was in high school at JC versus at the, at the next, at the next level, you got managers and people that can help you do all of that stuff. But I'd still make it as competitive as I could. I think that's really important and, and bring the fun out of it. Kids love to compete and they love to play. Now, you know, that doesn't mean you don't do a lot of teaching. You still do a lot, a lot of teaching within the competitive environment and that makes it better for them and then I don't think you can lose them you also brought the open gym element in the off season you know I remembered that when you were talking about it was at West Valley and during those days you guys couldn't be in the gym uh, per NCAA rules so I would run those open gyms and and uh, with the help of Bobby and the name of Cal State Fullerton there was I mean at that time I could name off I won't do it now but seven eight nine NBA players in the gym and I think you know you know you're 
your fingerprints were all over that because you had done that before and now you're bringing it here and helping bring that name is you know if you want a place to play you know and you're in the area of cal state fullerton you, everyone knows you go to fullerton because their gym is always open their coaches are ready to get them going so i think that that helped you you know with your style and bringing guys in and, and the whole and the whole thing that you had there you uh you finished there you read you made the the playoffs with the tournament postseason tournaments three times NIT, uh, which was a, a terrific experience, got to be a part of that, and and uh, you know that that shot that Ralphie hit Oregon State, still I still remember it. I've been to Oregon State since there two or three times, and I still walk in. I remember exactly where I was, and that whole thing was just amazing. And then you played Wisconsin, which you talked about, and then you finished at the uh, CIT first round. You did things for that school that no one else before you had done. I mean, your tenure there is 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 legendary in what you've done, and. And, and I think that what you're saying is, is the relationships with the players were, was, was, the, was really what that all came down to. The fast break, the points, the NBA guys, the open gyms, the transfers, but it was your relationships with the players that, that built that. How were you, you know, you, you talk about, you know, putting your arm around them and kick them in the butt. What were some things that you just, that you did that helped you, you know, as a seasoned coach, get to, get to build a relationship with 18, what I mean, 20, 21, 22 year olds? Yeah, you know, uh, the NCAA is so half-assed backwards on what they do. It's incredible. The fact that they limit, limit coaches, you know, to 20 hours a week working with mm-hmm. players. It's just, it's just so incredible. Where, where would you rather have kids? Wouldn't you rather have them around coaches and adults that you've hired than out not being around those people? I mean, it's incredible. And I think this one thing the NBA is, is – learning or NCA should be learning is this is why so many European kids are getting drafted now because there's no limits on them. They're working on their game eight hours a day over there. Why these kids are going to classes and on and on and on. Uh, you, you know, you, the time that you spend with them is really hard and it's very limited to uh, what you can because of in the gym and they don't want to just hang out with you. <laughs> You know, I didn't, you know, my wife didn't want to hang out with me, so I can imagine with college kids. But the important thing is that, that you, you know, I think that you just, you've got to find out what's important to them. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, really push those things with them. Uh, like I said, the honesty is, is so important that they know you're not a BSer. You're really, that that's important. And, you know, uh, you know, I've had a chance to to go help the women's team at San Diego City College the last two years, which all, all my friends and ex-players can't believe <laughs> because of my language, how how, I, how bad I am in practice and all of that. And, you know, you can adjust to anything, any environment you're at, and you need to. And that's another thing that's really important. You have to constantly evolve. Mm-hmm. You constantly have to change. You've seen the difference of, the kids you're dealing with today and when you went to Columbus West, it's a whole different deal. And it's not that your kids are different than the Columbus West kids. You got great kids and bad guys and we all got everything in there. The whole thing is it's evolving and it's finding out what's important to them. And and especially you see this today with kids today, it's more important uh, than it used to be run through the, the wall. You know, nobody ever used to ask you why. They just tried to do it. Today, they want to know why. And, it, well, they deserve an answer. Tell them why. You know, I mean, you've got to come up with, I think, way more 
motivational, positive things. I think the, the way society, the way all of us change. And I think that's very important that you understand that. If you're, if I would, if I was to go back to coaching high school, I wouldn't coach like I did at West Valley or Cal State Fullerton. I, I don't think uh, I'd want to play for myself now like that. Those guys were tougher uh, in those days than I were. That's why they hung in there. I, I'd go back, I think, uh, with the same core. In other words, the honesty, brutal honesty with them. Uh, maybe not as hard in practice would put it more on them, but still drive them. Mm-hmm. Totally. And, but but where they know, and that's why I said I've seen this at like helping at Sanity Sanity City College with the women. I had a great, honestly, great relationship, and it's a different role as an assistant because you can be more of the good guy. You're not the bad guy all the time. And the kids are, you know, here I'm 140 years old, and the kids are still hanging out when I go in, and they're excited. I told uh, Tony I never had more secret Santas in my life at Christmas time. I never had that when I was with coaching guys, but it's uh, it's really it's it, the kids are the same. They're the same, you know. They all want you to try and make them better, and if they believe that you are trying to do that and you are really on board, they'll listen and they'll they'll take it. And the ones that want aren't coachable anyway. It doesn't yeah. matter. Will you want to be their buddies and all that stuff? I. I don't want to, you know, that's not my job to be a buddy. I tell them, I, I want to, how good a player do you want to be? And they'll usually tell you. And I said, okay, then this is what you need to do. And if you don't want me to coach you, let me know. I've never had a kid say, oh, no, no, don't do that. You know, because they know. The worst thing any kid, and I used to tell our players this all the time, the worst thing that could ever happen to you is if I quit yelling at you. Mm-hmm. That means I don't care anymore. So now you're just, you know, that's not an issue. And uh, I think most kids get that. They go, yeah, that's, you know, they, you know, they don't want to be downrodden and just beat to death, but I'm talking about where you're constantly fired up and you're excited about, about that. And again, to you, like all of us, you have to reward them and really be positive in a lot of things. I think that's huge. So once you, uh, once you finish at Fullerton, uh, you've had a couple things that you've done since then. And, one of the things I know that you do is you go and you evaluate some of your friends' teams. You'll go stay with them for a week or a few days and watch them practice and, and sit back and watch the, the players and how they interact with the coach and how they interact with each other. And I remember I spoke to the uh, Idaho coach when he was recruiting one of my players years ago, uh, Coach uh, Verlin, I believe it was. Okay. Yeah, he said you'd go up there every year and you would just sit in the back and you'd watch them practice and then you'd give him your analysis and it would, would change, you know, everything because it would be such a, such a great analysis of their team that it would really help push them forward. When you do that, when you go and evaluate teams now, what are things you're looking for in, in player relationships and coaches' relationships that help you make that coach better? Well, you know, uh, the first thing, you got to try and understand what they're trying to do, not what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. You know, even though they have you in there because they want your – opinion you have to have a general idea what is it what are they trying to accomplish what are they doing and then you just try and pick it apart with all your basketball knowledge on things that you think can make it better it was, you know it was, it was really interesting because when uh, two years ago in day, when david Tisdale, who was a, i mm-hmm. mentioned was a presso was head coach of the memphis grizzlies he brought me in for a week so i just went in there and sat there and i'm watching uh you know, Gasol's brother and Connolly and all these pros. And I mean, I'm watching them from day one, put everything in. And then he and I would meet after 
uh, practice for about two hours, and I would go through on the board what I thought would be better on his fast break or on his sets and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I sat there, and it was amazing. I thought, this is like when I was when I was in high school. You know, I mean, it's the same deal. It's basketball. It's yeah. just obviously their level. The things they do are so easy compared to the rest of us. Uh, the size and how they move and, uh, you know, and it, it's just hard to believe how talented they are. But the game itself, you know, like uh, on ball screens, on how to defend ball screens. Uh, I remember uh, years ago, Rick Majerus was in recruiting one of my players when he was in Utah, and I said, how do you play the ball screen? He says, we play it 12 different ways. Mm -hmm. I said, now, how can you do that? That's absolutely insane. I, I can't get you know, And now watching this, you know, I think he was still blowing it up a lot, but there are so many different ways to defend a ball screen, from switching to edging to staying, you know, however you want to gap it and on and on and on. There's really a lot of different ways. Where one time I thought there was like only one way, you know, you, I hedge it and, and drive them out. But uh, watching them play, I thought that that was uh, amazing. Uh, and then I just tried to simplify what he did. I said, you know, like like what you're doing, running your big guy to the corner on this thing. Uh, I think this this fast break drill is great for you. So I put it in. Well, the next day he's got it in. Mm -hmm. And they're, here I'm looking out here some of the NBA guys, and they're doing a good job on it, you know. And it's a lot easier watching them roll it up, done on it. But you know, it, it was a good adjustment for him. So uh, the levels, you know, going up, whether I go back to Mississippi State, Ben Allen, as you know, is a great friend of mine, and go back and watch him. And, and when I went over to help him put in his fast break at UCLA, when it ended for me at Fullerton, yeah, you know, I mean, he, the players he had were incredible. Yeah. But it was the same thing we were doing when I was at West Valley. And actually, I thought, you know, at times – our guys at West Valley did a better job executing it. They had a high, way higher level players, but uh, the execution of it and so forth. So I think more importantly, Nick, I've got a concept of what I did well and the things that worked because of all the years that we did them. And then these guys that are messing with these things, I can help them because, shortcut it because I've already gone through the trial and error with that stuff. You, the last place that you've coached, you just came off a season at San Jose City with the women's team. And uh, I think for our conversation, it's the first time you've ever coached a women's team during the season. Uh, what did you learn about the game and about yourself, you know, coaching a completely different dynamic, which is females versus males? Well, you know, first part with that team, we were, it was, they were so limited. Uh, they had literally six kids on the team. Wow. That's all they had, six. And I had to run the off run run the offense for her. She's a real good friend of mine. She's a terrific coach, Terry Oberg. And I had to learn to scale everything back mm -hmm. uh, because I wanted to do too much, you know. And I think that, and I also think that goes on at the every other level. The simpler you can make it, the better it is. And coaches have a tendency to overdo stuff, you know, uh, keep adding stuff and. I think you constantly got to tinker and change to keep yourself going. That was very, I thought that was important. <clears throat> but I learned with uh, these kids that they're, they're the same way that my kids at West Valley were from the standpoint of wanting to be coached. You know, the ones that did <clears throat> accepted it 
the ones that didn't, didn't, they weren't, obviously with six, there weren't too many. <laughs> but these, you know, watching these kids uh, hang in there, uh, obviously uh, they were a little more emotional than my guys were, you know, I, uh, but I, you know, it was really funny. I, I would get into kids uh, there where a lot of people wouldn't think that you could and never had any problems. And they, they appreciated the attention. I thought the women were way more responsive to coaching. Mm-hmm. They want, they really enjoy that. They really uh, have more of an appreciation. I had kids thanking you after drills and things like that, or anytime you'd say that some, you'd go down to help them and they'd th- say, thanks coach and, or walking out of the gym and stuff. Just that, that type of niceness. I thought I said, now, not a real high level, you know, not, I'm not at Stanford helping the women at Stanford or, you know, a division one program. But I think all in all, I think that point, they're kind of like guys were years ago, a little more appreciative of the whole thing. Uh, they still have their battles. They still uh, competed and all of that. Uh, but it, they were, I think, just being nice to be around was probably a real plus. I'll finish with this, Coach. Um, advice for coaches out there. Your coaching career spanned over 50 years. Uh, you've coached at all levels. Um, you have guys all over the country who are uh, from your coaching tree. What is some advice that you can give for coaches uh, going forward here in the game? The, big, the biggest thing is obviously be yourself, mm-hmm. you know, but, but watch guys that you really like and really respect and try and pattern yourself a little bit after that. I think that's really important. Uh, I know when I was growing up, John Wooden was the guy. Okay. And uh, I was coaching high school at Willow Glen, and I saw him sit there with a program in his hand and never yell at anybody. So I came into a game, and I was going to be John Wood. Mm-hmm. And I did the same thing. And our team was down 20 before I could call timeout. And finally, you know, and I was like just saying, you know, the kids came over to me at halftime. I said, what's the matter with you? And I go, what do you mean? Well, you're, it looks like you're not into this. Well, I was trying to be cool like he was. And that wasn't me. You know, my point, so I threw the program away and <laughs> right back in it. So the big thing is go with your personality, uh, which you, what are your strengths? And coaches always kind of revert back to what they do well, you know, what you learn along the way you've had success with. And I was, ne- I was never afraid to try things. Uh, I thought that was important. I think the coaches today are missing a great point when they don't take games on TV and really watch games. And that was so big for me. I, all my stuff was stolen. Mm-hmm. I, 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 every play I ever came up with was the worst play in history. Basketball. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I, I came across with stuff that was just, oh, this is great. And guys were looking at me cross-sided after I put it in. I go, that's, that, that's awful. We got to get rid of that. Everything I stole, I literally stole from great coaches. It kind of fit what I, like out of bounds plays, last second plays, offenses, on and on. And I was uh, uh, just, I would take every game and go back through watching the Michigan State, Michigan game and go, oh my God, that's good. Uh, even all the way up at Fullerton, at the end of that thing, I was doing the same thing, watching other guys and, and getting stuff. And because you've got all of these games on TV now, and one day there wa- they weren't on. You didn't have access to this. You've got access to great coaches. And I'm in high school or junior college. I know how hard you're working doing all these other things we talked about. 
those guys at the four-year level, we got one thing they're working on, and that's basketball. Yeah. And that's even more so when you get the NBA. Yeah. And uh, so you can learn so much offensively, defensively, the way that these guys are doing it by watching games on this. And then when I came up with all that North Carolina stuff that I ran at West Valley, that really changed the whole trail. That was all Dean Smith stuff. And a high school coach here in San Jose convinced me to do that. I sat there all summer and watched every North Carolina game with him on TV. And he showed me all the backdoor stuff and he had all of that. And that changed the whole program of West Valley along with players. We had a system that adapted to that league and guys, you know, it's like Wahlberg stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's so revolutionary. Now, everybody, a lot of guys want to teach. There's a lot of, not a, not a lot of people can teach it like him. I've never seen anybody look like his teams are run his penetration. I don't care who they are because, and I did that. And I still, we even ran that at San Jose City a little bit with the, the girls up there, but it doesn't look like him. And he could come in and because he knows the ins and outs of all that stuff. So bottom line, be yourself, be honest with kids, everybody, uh, and watch as much as you can and, and tape and learn from other coaches. And if you do those things, I think it's a pretty good format. Well, that's great advice, Coach. Um, Coach, we appreciate you being here with us. That was terrific. A uh, lot of great things in there. I think that uh, many of your former players and coaches and fans will be really excited to uh, to have this and to listen to this. So thank you very much for coming, Coach. Well, great. Thanks, Nick. This was great being on. And uh, good luck to you. You were terrific for us. And, uh, God, yeah, you, you started that program with me. Uh, maybe if you'd have been there at the end, they'd have still be ha- kept me there. <laughs> so best of luck to you. Thank you very much. Okay. Take care. Well, that does it for the podcast. I hope that you enjoyed it. If you'd like to reach out to me, you can email me at nicksonato at ymail.com. See you next time.